What's up, y'all? Today we have Kenzie Elizabeth on the show. If you don't know Kenzie, you've probably seen her TikTok videos. She can act, she can sing, and she can dance. Is that me being jealous? Maybe. She goes to NYU Steinhardt, and in this conversation, we talked about how being in service to others is a popular concept in acting and theater. I didn't know that. Find out how by listening more. Stay tuned. When you take on a character, you have to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances. And what that means is you have to take certain elements of your own truth to put it into that character. And so there's been certain elements of truth that I've expanded to make it a little bit more imaginary mm -hmm. and make it a little bit more heightened of an experience or an emotion, whether that be, you know, more in like that angry direction or more in that like content direction. Those elements of truth have kind of sparked things about how I would react. Excuse me, I'm gonna rephrase that. I have kind of figured out a couple of things about how I've reacted certain ways in scene work that I didn't think I would react that way, but that's just how my body authentically reacted. And so figuring that out about myself, there's a couple of scenes that I've done where mm -hmm. The character is very independent, but, you know, something may trigger them in a way it kind of brings them back to their own world. Okay, awesome. Kenzie, hi. Welcome to the Creator's Canvas. Hello. Thanks for having me. So where I think I want to start the conversation is, you know, when I was doing some research on you as a content creator, I noticed that you started back in early 2020. What was yeah. your headspace like and why did you start making content? That was around the time that COVID began, and I think I was just so caught up in my own little world that I needed some space to branch out to things. And a lot of, like, especially performing arts opportunities, they kind of diminished. I was cast in a show in early March, and two weeks before rehearsals were scheduled to begin, that's when the shutdown happened. And so I was kind of feeling a little alone in my craft. And so one of my friends actually told me about TikTok and was like, hey, you should like do this. This would be kind of cool for you. You can like post videos and, you know, just for fun and see what happens. And so I did that. And it just be kind of, it kind of became a thing for me. And I started to meet some really cool people virtually. And over the years, it's kind of expanded into this nice, like creative arts community that I built. And they're all my mm. friends, which is kind of cool. With you being able to connect with people all over the world in this, you know, quote unquote, creative arts community that you talk about, you know, what is a memorable, you know, experience or conversation from that that's top of mind for you? Because I'm the same way. The number of people I've connected with that I never would have, you know, like without social media is like kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely have noticed the same like four to five people that have been on my page and like kind of following my journey since the beginning. So that's kind of wild to think about. And there was one person, his name is Paul, and we had been following each other for a little while. And then we finally, like a year and a half later after following each other, we finally got to meet in person in the city and just kind of oh talk. And we walked around the city for like two to three hours. And it was just, it, so that kind of stuff is really, really cool. Um, I also met one of my good friends at NYU. Her name is Madison. And she actually reached out to me via social media and was like, hey, I noticed you're going to NYU this fall. Do you want to like get coffee or something? And I know this might be weird, but like, you know, <laughs> it might be fun. I was like, cool, sure. Why not? And now, you know, we're good friends. So uh, mm. it's just kind of weird how virtual communications can lead to something more. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Kind of a crazy story from that on my end. So I got back from Europe about three weeks ago, shot interviews over there. And someone I met virtually actually helped me film when I was in Prague. So he's like from the Czech Republic. And, you know, we had kept in touch and he actually took like a, you know, three hour, you know, train ride to meet me, which was nuts. And so we ended up hitting it off. I mean, I knew from the time we started talking like online that we'd be really good friends. And so that was just, you know, further solidified, you know, when we met in person, which is really cool. So Kenzie, for you, so you mentioned when you started creating content, you needed a place to kind of, you know, have a community and with it being COVID, everyone's in their own bubble. And so when did you start shooting content just to shoot content to actually, you know, try to be more intentional about it, you know, kind of in the way that you do now? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I, even now, I don't post to get traction or I don't post Mm. to reach a specific target audience. Mm -hmm. I truly just post for fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I don't want to think of it as a job because then it becomes boring Mm -hmm. and it then becomes this like competition with like, oh, I need to do this and I need to, and it just becomes so, so stressful. There's been Mm -hmm. times where I post four to five times a day because I'm like, you know, this is, this would be kind of cool, but like, I'm not expecting anything. And then there's Mm -hmm. times where I go like seven to eight days without posting a single thing because Mm -hmm. the algorithm is so, it's so unpredictable. And so I'm just like, why waste the time and energy to figure out the algorithm that's never going to be figured out in the first place. And I find more success with that because I'm able to just kind of be myself and not worry about like putting up this, this, you know, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe. I find Mm. more authenticity within myself when I just do it when I feel like it. Mm. And I find that people stick around for that too. So yeah, and clearly from the you know the audience that you've built in the community that you've talked about, you know, which I think is incredible. So you know, kind of when I was looking at all the types of content that you have posted, it's such a wide range. You know, I, I yeah. love seeing I love seeing things all the way from your sword fighting class, you know, to oh, all you the went way, way like, back, <laughs> 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 all the way to you know like the singing videos that you know that yeah. kind of you mentioned that earlier, which is really cool. And so from that, you know, what types of content do you love posting the most? You know, you mentioned you'd love to post, you know, kind of based on how you feel. And I would love to hear, you know, what resonates most with you. I think anything that involves storytelling. So it's a dance mm. thing, something that communicates something and makes somebody feel something, whether mm. it's a good feeling, a, a bad feeling, or kind of a neutral feeling, just something that evokes emotion from somebody. That could be very cathartic for an audience member. It's similar to live theater, even TV film, like that stuff makes people feel something. Especially in the last week, I've noticed that like just communicating something is the most effective way to get somebody to listen. Can you expand on that a little bit more? So communicating something is the best way to get to someone to listen. So do you mean like communicating it and trying to figure out in what way to say it that it'll land best with that person or... No, I meant like, like in songs, for example, mm. there's a lot of singing trends that are like, you know, little riffs and high notes and stuff like that. But if you can really make somebody feel something by communicating something, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I found success. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And so, okay, so I'm starting to gather. That's fascinating. So what is an example in your head? The most recent thing is What Remains by Drew Gasparini. Actually, that is a really good example. 
What Remains by Drew Gasparini because the first time that I posted anything related to that, it was a short snippet. It was two lines, you know, two two phrases, but they were filled with so much like need of trying to communicate something that I I couldn't find the right words to. And so that resonated with people. And then when people were requesting the full thing before I had time to record the full thing, I just included the riff that sort of did well, but it didn't reach as many people as the full song did because it was communicating a full story. And that's what people resonated with. Mm, I see. And so why do you think telling stories is something that resonates so much with you? I think it gives me a chance to relate to other people in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to without it. For me, why I think stories are so important to me is I think they are one of the best ways to help someone feel like seen, heard, felt, and appreciated. Because if you watch or listen to a story and there is an element to it that really speaks to an experience that you felt alone in, then I can't imagine like another form of experience that can make someone feel less alone. And that's why I think stories can be so powerful. And I think they're just such a more effective way to convey a message or lesson. You know, we can lecture it or we can tell it in a story. You know, which one lands better? Yeah, there's a little moral to the story. I like it. And so for you, what type of work are you excited to dive into in your semester coming up in August? See, I like this question a lot. I haven't told really anybody about this, but I mean, I'm allowed to share it. I, uh, mm. at NYU, they have like a fall musical and a spring musical, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, Joey Contreras, who is a very prominent music theater writer in the industry, he's mm. written a song cycle, it's called In Pieces. And then he's also written some individual compositions for probably performers and, and people alike. And they're doing an original musical called Heartbreakers in Hell. And they had auditions for it. They had callbacks. And girl ended up getting booked. So I get to do an original character, which is so cool to me. I, oh I think a bucket list item is kind of originating a role. So that way I am like, I get to take on the material in a way that it's never, ever been performed, performed before. Mm-hmm. Because it's never been performed. <laughs> so... I'm very excited for that opportunity. I'm very fortunate for that opportunity. But that starts in August. That's kind of what I'm mainly looking forward to. And then this whole year is going to be focused on showcase and recital. And so that's that's kind of wild to think about. No more Gen Eds. We don't even get like, we get some classes, but it's a lot, a lot of it is just coaching instead of like full-on acting classes or full-on song analysis classes or script analysis, stuff like that. It's, it's all coaching based, which is... Very interesting. Yeah, that 100% is. And first of all, congratulations. Uh, I could literally see how excited you were on your face, you know, talking about that. And the fact that it is literally a bucket list item for you, and that's something that's coming up, I can't think of anything more special. And I think it's so beautiful in life to have something to look forward to. It's like, because you know, like what's coming down the line is like, oh my gosh, can't wait. And so what is the importance of playing an original character? And so this is where I don't know as much about, you know, the work that you do. I get to create my own circumstance work that really, yeah. So, so the character is set, like it's our, you know, the character is in a circumstance, the character is, is in a plot, it's everything, but nobody has ever taken on the challenge of kind of 
bringing that character to life. And so being given the opportunity to bring the character from the page to the stage rhymes. Okay. (laughs) Bringing the character from the page to the stage. That's just so, it's so fascinating because there is a decent amount of work that goes into that. And so Mm -hmm. not having, you know, something to go off of and just kind of creating it from your mind. It's kind of like choreography or even a writer, like taking an idea a seed of an idea and then blossoming it into a flower. It's kind of like that. Mm. You're t- you have this seed of a character. It's kind of written on the page, but yes. you get the opportunity to bring it to its full length. You get to create the, mm. the memories and you get to create the relationships and you get to create, like you get to do everything. And that is so cool to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually amazing because I imagine that comes with a lot of responsibility. And for you, how do you think about how you approach bringing that character from the page to real life? Because I'm sure for every different person, they have a different way of how they would execute it. And I'm curious, how do you think about that for yourself? Well, my first step would be to go through the script to figure out what's written. What did the author write about it first? What did the Mm -hmm. author write about my character? Write that down. What does the character say about myself? Write that down. What do other characters say about my character? Write that down. And mm. what do like the stage directions tell about like my actions versus my words? And mm. that once I write all of that down, just kind of comparing the drafts to feel to see, okay, what am I saying versus what am I doing? Because we all know that like actions speak louder than words. And so that yes. tells a lot about a, that tells a lot about a character. So I would do that, figure all of that out. And then from there, I would go through and based on the actions and the words that I've said in the show, mm-hmm. create my backstory. So who were my parents? Where was I born? It's a play about mythology. So it's mm, not going to be oh, like, awesome. oh, Sally lives, you know, around <laughs> the corner with her, her parents and goes to, you know, a K through eight school. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be a little bit more yeah. complex than that, but kind of going through and creating the moments before leading up to where I am now is going to be the coolest part about it. Do you learn about yourself through playing different characters? Oh, absolutely. And what does that process look like? Because the thought had just occurred to me. If you have an example too of like something you've learned about yourself, like that's incredible. Well, when you're in, when you take on a character, you have to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances and what that means is you have to take certain elements of your own truth to put it into that character and so there's been certain elements of truth that i've expanded to make it a little bit more imaginary Mm -hmm. and make it a little bit more heightened of an experience or an emotion whether that be you know more in like that angry direction or more in that like content direction those elements of truth have kind of sparked things about how I would react, excuse me, I'm going to rephrase that. I have kind of figured out a couple of things about how I've reacted certain ways in scene work that I didn't think I would react that way, but that's just how my body authentically reacted. And so figuring that out about myself, there's a a couple of scenes that I've done where Mm -hmm. the character is very independent, but you know, something may trigger them in a way it kind of brings them back to their own world. And that's, you know, I've kind of example of uh, 4,000 Miles by Amy Herzog. She's, a, the character is a very independent person, but when it feels like her world is falling apart, 
she starts to become dependent on the only thing she knows. And so that, I didn't think I would relate to that. But after completing that scene, what, like four weeks, for four weeks, I kind of resonated with the character a little bit more so than I thought I would have before taking it on. Once you realized that you actually resonate with this character more than you initially thought, did that trigger some sort of like reflection within yourself or learning or, you know, self-discovery? Yeah, I would say so. I think it allows me to kind of branch out into new discoveries about myself. So Kenzie, I would love to hear if there are any stories that come top of mind for you as to a time where you learned a lot about yourself through like a specific character or experience that you had, you know, in kind of all of the work that you do. You know, I'm going to use this most recent one. So I just finished my second semester at NYU and in the grad acting two class, we spent the entire term on Meisner work. When I did, I did a year, it's called Meisner technique, Sanford Meisner. And in acting, there's a couple different methods. You know, you've got the Stanislavski method. You've got different techniques and methods within acting. You've got the Stanislavski method. You've got the Sanford Meisner technique. You've got Uta Hagen, you know, the six steps to acting. And there's there's different approaches and, and methods click with people and some methods mm-hmm. don't. For me, the Meisner technique kind of clicked with me. I had been studying Stanislavski. I had been studying Stanislavski mm. for a few years before I touched on Meisner. Um, and I did it the last year of my undergrad at Western Oregon University. But in the second semester, getting back on that train of thought, in the second semester of NYU, we did mm-hmm. the entire class was just focused on Meisner. And we were assigned wow. one seat partner throughout the entire term. It was a four month long term. And we spent half of the term doing like Meisner technique exercises. And then we implemented that into the scene work. And that scene we did um, act for uh, mm-hmm. like the last scene of The Seagull by Anton Chekhov. And that experience as a whole, it was so kind of eye-opening mm. to myself as a person, but also who Nina, my character, who Nina is as a person. It allowed me to find different like physical, like intricate details within, or like, what is the word you use? Um, uh, where you're like, it's not intricacy. It's um, like, if someone's like wiggling their mm, fingers, but okay. they don't realize they're a doing quirk, mannerisms, quirks, I guess. Mannerisms. Like the yeah. little intricate mannerisms. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Quirks, mannerisms. The stuff that like mm-hmm. you don't, like you do subconsciously. I was able to find those little like tiny details within Nina throughout the entire term because I was able to, so it wasn't just like a, Oh, I'm going to do a monologue, work on it for like a week and be, you know what I mean? It was like, I spent four months trying to get as like honest as possible with myself. And then once I dove into the scene itself, got my backstory, got my circumstance, got everything I needed, then I could use the Meisner technique to really respond authentically and truly as Nina. But like the the mm. inner self of Kenzie stepped into the inner self of Nina. And I have never done that before. So it was kind of weird, but cool at the same time because I was able to like really, like I was able to uh, connect with my scene partner mm-hmm. more so than I think I've ever connected with any of scene partners. Um, because we, we had that like, Meisner exercise foundation for two months prior and then the last two months were just focused on the scene and it wasn't just like 
running lines repetitively. It was like we would do repetition with like, um, like say one person <laughs> says, I like cheese and pickles. I, it's a random, random sentence. But um, say one person says, I like cheese and pickles. And the next person's line is like, I like pickles and cheese. One person would say, I like cheese and pickles. The next person would repeat, I like cheese and pickles. But you wouldn't change unless you're motivated to, which I think, and that's just one part of my story. There's a bunch of different elements to it. But that's just like one Mm. example of doing that the way we worked. We didn't just like block it and run it repetitively with like just blocking. We would like, uh, it was, there's a lot, there's a lot of trains of thought. But that particular experience doing Meisner Mm -hmm. with the same scene partner, that was different in my undergrad, which I think, both sides of the spectrum are really, really great. But in my undergrad, we were assigned a new partner, like every class, like we worked with two to three people every single class. Mm. And that we were on term instead of semester. So term basis is like, um, Mm -hmm. the weeks, they're like 11 weeks as opposed to 16. So you have a fall, the winter and a spring term. That was Western in NYU. We're on semester basis. So it's a 16 week long course to fall and spring. And so with that being said, I was getting, you know, 11 weeks, I was working with like, if I worked with two people every class mm-hmm. or three times a week, I was working with six people a week, different people every week, as opposed to mm. one partner the entire 16 weeks. And the entire yep. 16 weeks, it allowed me to really, really connect with that person, both like as Kenzie, you know, Kenzie and the scene partner, but also taking that connection that I built and that trust that I built with that person and bringing it into VC work. So that's like a very long winded, but that's one example of how I was like. Beautifully said. So it sounds like the first part of what you said is the ability to understand the little intricacies of yourself that you weren't aware of initially because you do them subconsciously like we all do, which is so fascinating. I just had a conversation with a friend last night and I was talking to her about how it's so interesting to hear from other people about how and what they observe about us because, you know, we can't look at ourselves. And the second, which is really cool, is you were so used to switching scene partners for every class, but then have the ability to work with one scene partner and build that trust for extended period of time. Sounds like that was very impactful for you. So how do you kind of think about the pros and cons of like each situation, you know? So one is, you know, working with one for a long time and the other is, you know, switching every class. I think switching every class is beneficial because you're able to Mm -hmm. kind of bounce off different personalities and test how you work with others at a more frequent rate. And so you've got to get used to working with different personalities. You've got to get used to, you know, kind of bouncing off different people at a time. But on the flip side, working with one person the entire duration, it allows you to really set some like foundation mm. with the person you're going to be working with in the scene. And so you're able to gain a trust that for me, I was not able to get mm. that level of trust switching partners every week because it was like, I, I'm reestablishing things. I'm reestablishing, I'm reestablishing boundaries and I have to, you know, I, I can't, I can't just like kind of fall into routine, which can also Uh, be a con with working mm. with one person. You could become complacent with that person. So working with multiple people, you don't get complacent because you're always on your toes. You're always trying to like, you know, stay on top of things and like actively listen, which is part of my journey. You have to actively listen. And so you're, you're having to actively listen to 
the different mannerisms and, and the different verbs that people are, uh, different actions that people are taking. But with one person, you're able to kind of establish that foundation and get a trust that you would not have been able to get with the multiple people. So it's, I think doing both is really important because you get both sides of the spectrum. In certain plays that only have like four people, a 4,000 miles is the top thing in my head right now. That show, it only has four people. And so you're going to be working with the same four people. And in some cases, you're going to be working with the same Mm-hmm. singular person for a very long period of time if it's a like a sh- if it's a four-week rehearsal process or three-week rehearsal process it's not that long but you're going eight hours a day so you're going to be with them for quite some time so you know studying with one person is very very beneficial but if you're in a show like you know the prom where you have many 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 people that you're working with and many people that you're especially mm-hmm. if you're like ensemble and you're having to communicate with different characters at a time it's also very beneficial to get that so, Kenzie, what are the best parts of you that are brought out when you have been able to develop that trust with a scene partner? I am able to kind of have a lot of empathy with that person and actively listen to their needs mm-hmm. and concerns rather than just focusing on what ah. I need and what my concerns are. When I'm working with multiple people, I am so focused on what is my objective or what do I need from them? And it's so quick that it it goes by so fast. And so I'm not able to like really focus on what that other person needs. And so working with that one person, it allows me to kind of take a step back and realize that I'm not the only person in the room, that somebody else is too. The greater theme that I'm able to pull out from what you just said is it's this idea of being completely in service to the other person versus thinking about being in service to yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. Putting all of mm-hmm. the attention on your other is that's, I mean, that is mm-hmm. the biggest thing I've learned actually, because if you're focused on your other and not yourself, you become selfless mm. as opposed to selfish. But even if it's like, even if, let's see, for example, say your goal is to like, to get this person to give you a <laughs> yeah. for fun, you're still focused on them because you're getting them to give you something as opposed to, oh, you know, I need to do this. It does. Me. Does that make sense? Focusing on others. <laughs> that is the main thing. Okay, so I'm super passionate about this topic. Because isn't it crazy that the best scene that we can build is whenever we're being in service to the other versus being in service to ourselves? Because inherently, we wouldn't think that would be the case, right? And I would love your thoughts on this. So had lunch with, we call him my grandpa, but he's not blood related, but my grandpa and his wife, both 80 years old, been married for 50 years. And I asked him, what has been the secret to the longevity of y'all's relationship. And he said, service to the other was always put at the forefront for both people. And he said, him and his wife say, said that they feel like that's what's lost on, you know, like today's generation. And was curious to ask you, you know, why do you think that's a concept that maybe our generation struggles with so much? Well, I think our generation is just a lot more independent now. I think that there should be a balance 
like you shouldn't be completely selfless because if you consistently do things for others and you mm-hmm. never do anything for yourself, you're going to go cuckoo bananas and you're not going to be happy. I mean, you have to be happy with yourself before you can be happy with someone else. That's just my personal opinion and you can take mm-hmm. it or leave it. But in a relationship, there needs to be give and take from both sides, both parties. But there also needs to be a balance between mm-hmm. selfishness and selflessness. Like, you know, it needs to be compromises. Like, you can't just do everything for the other person and that other person do everything for that person because it's just going to be this, like, one-sided yeah. thing. You know what I mean? You need to be, you need to have a balance. Like, if you want to go to the movies, and I'm taking really, really <laughs> slowball examples. I don't want to get too deep with this. <laughs> but if you like, uh, if you want to go to the movies, but your person yeah. wants to go to dinner, maybe you do both. Or maybe you choose to go to the movies on Friday <laughs> and dinner on Saturday. You know, so that way you're both happy, but you make a compromise. That's what I think should happen. I, do, I don't think we should be entirely selfless and do everything for our person. Because that it's not a partnership at that point it's just like a oh i'm your servant <laughs> you know it's like no there needs to be a compromise there needs to be a balance it's like kind of like a work mm-hmm. work home life balance like i'm very mm-hmm. career oriented oriented very career oriented however i try to balance my friendships and my relationships whether they're you know parental sibling friend instructor romantic whatever it is I try to balance that and move mm-hmm. it into my career life. So that way I'm not just like headstrong. Nothing else matters to me except mm-hmm. the performing arts. Like, no, you got to have a balance. Same with relationships. I don't think you should be like headstrong on being like, oh, I want this and I want this and I want this. Or the opposite. You want this. So I'm going to give it to you. You want this. You want this. You Because it. it just becomes tiring for one person. Like if you're completely selfish the entire time, your person is going to feel like they don't matter. But if you're the opposite and you're like, you only matter, then it's like, <laughs> what? You both need to matter. Your voices both matter. So what you're saying, I completely agree. And it's interesting to think about how that concept not only applies in your work, but there's like greater themes of it in like life in general, you know? Yeah. And, you know, with scene work, how do you personally find that balance then of, you know, being uh, selfless and selfish? I think mm. actively listening to your mm-hmm. partner similar in like real life relationships actively listening to yes. what their needs and concerns are but also taking into consideration how they can mesh with your needs and concerns and then going from there so like in the seagull for example um i had an ultimate goal and objective that I needed to fulfill. And that was the reason I was even mm-hmm. there in the first place, right? There's a need to, you know, to be there. But in a way, in order to get what I needed, I still needed to mm. hear the other person out. And so even though I needed something, I need to actively listen to what the other person is saying as well. And, you know, how we can compromise. Oh, okay. So what has active listening and helping your scene partner taught you about presence and then how has that presence translated to real life you know in your relationships and your interactions yeah well i'm able to i i don't really think much about myself oh, anymore i so think about what i 
it's a it's a balance like i said earlier i mean i do think about what i like to do and what i want to do with my of life course. or like you know in certain relationships like what i want in the relationship but i think a lot of my training has allowed me to be a little bit more conscious of others feelings and and mm. how they work and not necessarily living for that but living mm. in harmony with that i'm able to um kind of see a little bit more of the world than I did before because I'm able to kind of open my eyes and take in a lot as opposed to just be lining mm -hmm. in my own direction, if that makes sense. And so I'm able to connect with a lot more people that way because I am seeing them mm -hmm. for who they are as opposed to seeing them for who I want them to be. When's the last time you have felt seen for who you are? Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to have to say a few days ago. I know it's so silly. And it's just a comment on a social media, okay? And I will say, I will preface this. I will preface this. My sister makes me feel loved for who I am. Shout out to Madeline. I love you. My friends make me feel loved. You know, I feel loved from a lot of different places. But most recently, a couple of days ago, somebody commented on my TikTok saying that I am a true storyteller. I'm gonna cry. Ugh, don't cry. <laughs> I have been working so hard to be a storyteller in all aspects, whether it's acting, singing, well, acting is storytelling, but you know, you get what I mean. Dancing and everything. I am a true storyteller and nobody's really ever said that to me. And so that was kind of a moment where I felt like, wow, you you really do see that. That's kind of cool. I am a storyteller. I and mean, I know it's so silly. It's just a comment, but like it kind of made my day. Kenzie, that isn't silly at all. What does... Very emotional. Emotions are beautiful. And I think they come through very strongly through the work that you do. And from doing that, it makes viewers emotional, Kenzie, <laughs> you know? So I think it's a superpower. What does the true part of that comment mean to you? Because that's interesting, right? I think the idea of like authenticity mm. within work is the most truest part. Because I mean, authentic means real. It means true. It means you know, like fully just open. Um, but I would say that's like the most realest part of that comment is just. I mean, they they basically called me authentic, mm. which is super super cool especially when i'm taking on a character that's yes. completely oh, fictional fascinating points bringing authenticity into a fictional character is is kind of cool not kind of it's, it's very cool has there been a time where you caught yourself not being an authentic storyteller and not saying that it came from a place of intentionally trying to be you know fake or mislead but more so some mm -hmm. other, you know, reason you know, as to as to how why that happened. American yeah. Idol, <laughs> two words. American Idol. Wait, so what's I, the story behind that? Oh boy. Well, if you're listening to this, please do not go watch my American Idol. <laughs> oh, just joking. That whole experience. I think American Idol. I think any reality TV show mm. is kind of phony. I will say. I will say, because I don't want to bag on American Idol. They, it was a really, really cool opportunity, and I'm very, very appreciative. And if I were to get the opportunity to do it, to do it again, wink, wink, I, you know, I would, I would do it because I kind of know what to expect now, and I know, I, I know how to 
how to be yeah. on the set, you know? I think I think that experience, it was great. It was awesome. But on the flip side, it was very, I mean, there's a lot of stage yes. stuff going on. And you think I would thrive in that because, it's, <laughs> you know, it's theater, it's film, it's TV. It's, it's, no, it's different than that. I was so scared that I put up mm. a front and the front kind of made me look cuckoo bananas. And I know I've said that term twice now. Cuckoo bananas, that's my new favorite um, word. <laughs> yeah, cuckoo bananas. Yeah, cuckoo bananas. <laughs> I say that with the kids all the time. The kids that I nanny. God, cuckoo bananas. You're cuckoo bananas in a, in a fun way. It's always a good I It made me, like, I put on this, this like, facade that it truly made me look mm. like a different person. Um, I went back to school the week after it aired, and people were like, uh... What happened to you? <laughs> and the people on my social media were like, "Oh, you're you're so different on your pages than you oh. are." And I mean, it was it was also heightened because you know I did some like amateur ventriloquism, which, by the way, I have never taken ventriloquist. I mean, I've yeah. taken like one lesson, but it was for a show that I did when I was twelve. So that's why I always lead with like, "I'm amateur." I like I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. It's just for fun, right? But but they had me do all these different things and they had me braid my hair like eight times before going in. And so my hair was all poofy <laughs> and, and <laughs> there's just a lot of like things that went into it behind the scenes that a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know about when it aired. And I'm not saying it was good. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not, I just kind, yeah. of, kind of neutral. It's just kind of how reality TV works. Cause again, I don't want to bag on American Idol. It was a great opportunity. I'm so appreciative for it. So appreciative. But it came with some like funniness from me because I was trying to be something that Mm. I was not. A great example is the song that I sung. I had sang it like (laughs) six times before Mm -hmm. that. Like I auditioned with it and I got through, which is cool. But like I never had any vocal training on that particular song. Never worked with a vocal coach. I was like I at the time because it was filmed in 2021 October 2021 but it didn't air until May oh sorry not May March mm-hmm. of 2022 and so you know there was a, a good chunk of time in there but between when it was recorded but at the time in October 2021 I had just started to learn you know the mix belt and I had, I just started to like find different resonances and like how to not control it but like you know, within different songs, how to like, I just started to find the mix belt. And so I'm, I'm going back to repeat so I can finish the thought. At the time, I wasn't super comfortable with the in quotations mix belt quite yet because I just learned it like a year mm-hmm. prior, a year and a half prior. So I was still in a work in progress. And so the song that I chose, I was so scared that I was going to bomb it that I was like, okay, I have to do something. And mind you, I hadn't worked vocally on it with a coach and I hadn't worked at circumstance work wise. You know, I wasn't, I, I hadn't worked anything. And so I was like, okay, if I just do something, then I will be fine because I'm not going to be focused on my voice. I'm going to be focused on like everything else that I'm doing. And so because I didn't put in circumstance work and because I didn't like, I wasn't trying to act it, but I went in there and it, I looked like I was <laughs> mad the whole time. Because, and like the faces that I made. It was hard to watch. (laughs) 
but it, you know, it was fun. I blacked out. I, I don't remember anything except for like two things, two words that one of the judges said, but I, I, it was, it was a very interesting experience because I was not myself. I was, I was trying to sing and trying to be what I thought everybody else wanted me to be. But since then, and it's been almost, it'll, in a few months, it'll be two years, two mm-hmm. years since the filming of it. I have found out a lot about, you know, my voice mm. in general, the genres that it fits. And also I have kind of taken a lot of the pressure off of trying to sound like certain people or certain things and just putting mm. my own spin on things. And if people like it, great. People don't like it, great. Like, I just, you know what I mean? So I think that experience as a whole, American Idol, it was great. It was a great, but it also kind of didn't set me back or put me forward. It was just very neutral. I, I didn't lose opportunities. I didn't gain opportunities. It just was kind of there, but it allowed me to kind of see who I am as a person and what I want to do, who I want to be as a person and a performer. Who do you want to be as a person and performer, Kenzie? I want to be myself for people to connect to. And Beautifully said. That's it. It's so fascinating because it sounds like the American Idol experience was a mix of two different things. You know, one was, you know, being something that you thought you needed to be, plus, you know, kind of the whole industry of reality TV and how things are cut and staged and, you know, presented so that it's entertaining, you know, for an audience. And so that in combination was like, oh my gosh, like who is that on screen? Yeah. At the same time, I think it's fascinating because you going through that, I think, has helped you grow so much into being that authentically version, authentic version of yourself that, you know, resonates with people so much. And so I love this concept of taking an experience that maybe wasn't the best and then extrapolating, you know, lessons learned from that and incorporating that, you know, to then be that version of ourselves that we want, which I think is beautiful. So Kenzie, as we're wrapping up on time, you know, we love to end up on this question. Is there anything you wish that people knew about you? And the reason that we like this question is because with the Creators Canvas, we try our best to humanize content creators. Oftentimes, an audience can put distance between themselves and content creators that they love watching. And we're just like, hey, actually, we're no different than you guys, you know? Yeah, I'm human. I go through struggles just like anybody else. I have love and I've had heartbreak I even though like you know I seem like like for videos especially I'll post the best takes but sometimes those takes will take 40 minutes Mm. as opposed to you know the one 20 second clip you see sometimes I just want to cry and that's okay Mm. you know and then other times I am very elated to do the things that I do. We've got hills and valleys. I'm, I'm human. And I think that's the biggest thing that anyone needs to take away from this is that we all are human. That's all we are. Um, some people are put on bigger pedestals than other, but some people are put on bigger pedestals than other people, but like they shouldn't. I mean, we're all human and we all do what we can to, to survive. Beautifully said, Kenzie. Thank you so much for coming on the Creators Canvas. I really loved the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 